All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Can Steal That, the true crime podcast that's never too heavy. I'm your host, Pete Stegmeyer. This is exciting. We're, we're getting up there. I'm losing count of episodes. I think this is 58. Could be 59. I'm not 100% sure, but somebody will keep me on my toes for this. Uh, I should have... I should have just looked on Spotify, but it doesn't matter. Today we're doing a very fun heist. Uh, not fun in like what happens, but it's one I've wanted to talk about for a while and couldn't have a better guest for this uh, episode. He was our esteemed guest on, I believe, episode 10 where we covered Martin Cahill. And he is the host of the award-winning Adventures in Advising podcast and the Irish NFL podcast. Colm Cronin, how are you? Hey, Pete. Great to be joining you again. And uh, if you lost count of which episode we're on, I think the heist we're going to talk about today, the people who pulled it off, I would say lost count of the sheer volume of cash that they ended up with from this particular heist. Uh, the the largest in uh, UK and Irish history, certainly at the time it was carried out. And it should be uh, an interesting one to, to get into. But always, uh, always a pleasure to get to chat to you and uh, to delve into uh, you know the the various different topics that we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very excited about this one. Like you, like you said, this one is very very cash heavy, and it's a lot of different kinds of cash. And I'll get into that in a, in a little bit. I would not have been able to keep it straight, like just based on my performance from you know two minutes ago, but. This is this is a cool one. This is um this is the Northern Bank heist. Uh it's now called Donsk Bank. Um is that German or is that Gaelic? Uh Donsk. No, that that's that's German. Ba- basically uh, after 2008 the Germans owned us. Uh so um yeah, they they probably still do because we're still going to be paying that back for for generations and generations. But uh it is it's now a, a German uh, a German bank. When when Ireland qualified for the European Soccer Championships, uh, just a few years after um, the the crash and and the bailout, and the Germans had given us money, um, there were songs sung and there were banners. The Irish fans took took uh, to uh, to Poland to Poland at the at the time for the European Soccer Championships, which read, "Angela Merkel thinks we're working. She gave us the cash to go on the lash." <laughs> That is, that is incredible. <laughs> oh man, that's that's so funny. Yeah, that's that is a pretty amazing. Uh, like I, I appreciate like the work that they put into like their signs and their their slogans and stuff like that. It's it's way better effort than we we get here in the states. Yeah, no, I, I mean American stadiums are loud, but I feel that that you know soccer fans in particular have a, a creativity about them that they they really bring to their fandom. Yeah, there's just like there's just love of the game there, and I, I appreciate that. I, 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 a total side note, but I went to see a match in Manchester a few years ago and the opposition goalkeeper, it was for FC United, and the opposition goalkeeper looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. So the fans started <laughs> chanting, where's your famous mystery van? And there's a chant over here that goes attack, attack, attack. And the fans started chanting a snack, a snack, a snack, a Scooby snack. Uh, and it was magnificent to hear thousands of people chant this. And in fairness to the goalkeeper, he was a good sport about it all. 
That's really funny. That's, oh man, I'm, I'm trying to think of like some of the better sports heckles that I can't really think of any, like the best, the best one that I can think of is, I hate, I'm going to sound very douchey for this because it's my sports heckle that, that I yelled at somebody. But when Conor McGregor fought Eddie Alvarez, like I went to the weigh-ins at Madison Square Garden and like during the weigh-ins, I yelled at Eddie Alvarez, like his eyebrows looked like he was wearing UFC, uh, like ICP makeup. <laughs> and like it made both of them laugh, like during the, during the stare down, which was, I, I was very happy with, but. Uh, I, I was at a, a Broncos Chargers game uh, a few years ago when Philip Rivers was um, still playing for the Chargers at at the time. And there was a heckle from a guy who did these amazing, like family friendly um, kind of quips at Rivers throughout the game. Um, and the best one was he just, he just roars at Rivers. Philip Rivers doesn't read to his kids. Um, <laughs> and in fairness, Rivers turned around and kind of glared, but the rest of the sideline just cracked up. Uh, I don't know how many f- r- kids Philip had at that time, whether it was, you know, eight, nine or, or ten. But uh, that is my my one. Uh, I wish I had thought of that uh, in the uh, in the Mile High City. So fair play to that guy. Yeah, that's that's really, really funny. Oh my god! All right, so let's get into the robbery or the the heist. I guess it's I'm going to call it more of a heist. This one's a little different with the the methodology. This one they got pretty creative, admittedly. So um, let's let's first talk about the the bank that gets targeted. So this is Northern Bank in Northern Ireland. Um, I believe pretty close, like its headquarters were out of uh, Belfast and Donegal Square West. And what was interesting about this bank was first the fact that it was owned by National Australia Bank. Uh, So I know you said that you'd been owned by the Germans for a bit, but before that, it seems like uh, this bank was owned by the Australians. Uh, But this is also one of only four banks in Northern Ireland that was allowed to print its own banknotes. And so they printed out cash in 5, 10, 20, 50, and 100 euro denominations. Which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Like, imagine, like, Philadelphia just decided to start printing their own banknotes and just put Philly legends on those banknotes. Because that's what happened with money in Northern Ireland. And the crazy thing was what is sometimes they wouldn't accept it if you took it to England. They'd be like, what what's this? We don't know what this is. Like, this is your currency. This is the pound sterling. You should be accepting this. Oh my God, that's crazy. I thought it was like I thought they were like still printing like queen money, just like that they were able to like print it themselves. Like because like my bank, like you can get your own debit card and stuff like that. I I didn't realize yeah, I thought they were printing like actual treasury notes, not just like their own like sophisticated funny money. Yeah, they don't. They got their their own. I, I I think that could be hilarious to see. You know, who maybe different towns and cities or states came up with in America, but that's what was going on with the uh, the stuff in in Northern Ireland. Yeah, 
That's so – oh, my God. And Philly would absolutely be the city to, to print it. So it would all be gritty box. <laughs> like, I – God, that Philadelphia as a city is, is just fascinating to me. It it has a special place in my heart because I did a Habitat for Humanity program as a 17-year-old in Philly. Now, I come from a, a small town in rural Ireland, and at 17, I went to inner city Philadelphia. But it was, it was a fantastic experience. It was an eye-opening experience. I learned a lot, um, but it will always retain a, a special place in my heart. But it certainly, it has its own unique character. It's never going to follow what anyone else does, and I totally respect that. Yeah, that's that's God. That just makes me think too, like how much darker the Fresh Prince of Bel Air would have been if he stayed in Philadelphia. <laughs> that would have been like a predecessor to The Wire. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Somebody needs to make that. Like just Carlton walking down the street whistling, and everybody's like, "Oh shit, it's Carlton." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good times. Anytime I can make a wire reference, I'm, I'm happy. There's a that that crossover show that that definitely uh, needs to to happen. And Uncle, Uncle Phil, <laughs> like he'd have been perfect in in the wire. You'd have been, like I can imagine him being like, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And yeah. I'd be like oh, like coming from Uncle, Uncle Phil, like that. That hits. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know for listeners, yeah, the, the wire was Baltimore, but we're being creative. I could also see, um, um, you know, <laughs> some sort of mesh up between it's always sunny and the Fresh Prince and the wire. I, I would, I would love, I would love to see Omar walk into the bar, into, into Paddy's oh. pub. I, I think that would be fantastic also. God, that would be incredible. Oh my God. I would, I'm I'm gonna write like I've got a spec script already written for It's Always Sunny where they run a marathon, but now I want to do I want to do a spec script where like McNulty is in Philadelphia investigating a serial killer and it's Dennis. I <laughs> yes yes that 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 would have been a way better season five for The Wire. To be honest, if Dennis had been the serial killer, because he totally could be, uh, and it would have been far more believable than than what they they did. Like I love season the first four seasons. I just couldn't get on board. I I have an idea to do a website that tells you where you should stop watching. Like in my opinion, various like big name shows. Like to me, for True Detective, after that you know epic tracking shot. That was, I, I felt, where, you know, it, it could have all ended there. I could have walked away and gone. That was the best four episodes of television I watched. I just felt it lost momentum after that. And I, I think there are, it, that can happen. Like Boardwalk Empire had three three really good seasons, and I felt it dipped after that. Yeah, no, that's, God, that tracking shot was so good. And then, like, they just, yeah, the whole show fell off after that because it's like, is there like magic? And they're like, no, it's just like some weird guy under a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, and uh, good, good times. I, I do need to rewatch the first season though. Like the second season I, I couldn't get into. I, I haven't watched the third season, uh, but I, I feel like I probably should at some point. But 
I, I, I did not get, I, I finished the first and, and that was like, I couldn't go any further. As you said, it, it lost, it had that kind of aspect to it. And I just felt it became some very like um, Silence of the Lambs, which is great in, in and of its own right. But I was like, this is just a homage to Silence of the Lambs now. And um, yeah, it kind of uh, was um, less interesting to me as a result. Yeah, that, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm currently working on wa- uh, rewatches of. I'm trying to watch all of Supernatural, and they made way too many. Like, I'm on season three now, but they made way too many season or episodes per season of that show. Like, not just like way too many seasons for sure, but then like 25, 30 season or episode seasons where each one is an hour. It's it's too much. And I, I realized, like, as I watch a show, I'm like, this is not good. But, like, I can't stop. Like, I'm invested because I, I need to. And then I also started watching Lord of the Rings with my wife. And uh, we're watching the extended editions, which are, like, three hours and 45 minutes. And so far, we have been watching for six hours. And we are about an hour into the first movie. <laughs> what? what keeps interrupting? uh questions uh like things like that like trying to explain like she's like well how do you and i'm like okay well now i have to explain the entirety of the hobbit (laughs) to you to explain why he got the ring oh so you you become like charlie and you pull out like a whiteboard and you start going through the history of the hobbit i i tried like it was it was my own fault because I tried to explain what Simmerals were and like the first age and I should have just been like I don't know I bet they explain it, um, but like I get like real into it because like now Christine's like she's pretty into like the Marvel stuff, uh, decently into Star Wars which I'm very very excited about and so now I'm like bringing like my third geekdom in and no I gotta. I, I went too hard on that is is my fault. But let's let's get back into the heist. That's thank you by the way for for sticking around for 15 minutes of me talking about Lord of the Rings and Philadelphia and stuff like that. <laughs> let's you've hit the pay dirt. Let's get into it. On the night of September or I'm sorry, Sunday, December 19th, 2004, Groups of armed men arrived at the homes of two employees of Northern Bank, one of them in Downpatrick in County Down, and the other one in Polglass, uh, which is West Belfast. Chris Ward was taken from his house in County Down and driven to Polglass, where Kevin McMullen, uh, like basically Kevin McMullen was his boss, his supervisor at the bank. And so, like, imagine getting kidnapped in the middle of the night and taken to your boss's house. Um, and when he gets in there, uh, his boss had been, uh, tied up by men pretending to be police officers from the police service of Northern Ireland or PSNI. Uh, the gunman, like gunman remained at Ward's home threatening his family. So Ward was the only one taken from his, from his house. And then other gunmen like kind of stayed there with his family to be like, don't you move? Don't, don't try any funny business. But McMullen's wife, uh, when Ward is taken over to McMullen's house, McMullen's wife is taken out of the house and she's held hostage at an unknown location. And the masked men basically like the, the guys that 
pulled off the kidnappings, instructed the two bank employees to report for work as normal uh, the following Monday morning. And they actually stay with them until Monday morning. And so once Monday morning hits, like the thieves take off and they're like, hey, go to work like everything's normal. We're going to be in touch. And to stay in touch, they actually they gave them both cell phones. And this is this is 2004, so pretty pretty high tech of them. Because well, you got you've got to say like you know it it's it's you get taken to your boss's house in the middle of the night and given an additional cell phone. It's like I've more you know just more work. You know, like complete complete nightmare. Firstly, you get pulled out out of bed. It's like where you take me to your boss to your boss's house. Oh my god! Here's a cell phone. You're like an, another an, another extra additional thing. I'd love to know the conversation that took place between these two guys. You know, during the course of this and then afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Because at this point, like I'm th- like if I was either one of them, I'm immediately suspecting the other person to be responsible. Like if I'm the guy like who's being dragged at gunpoint to my boss's house, and I, like I'm for sure thinking that my boss is involved. Mm-hmm. And so they get they get these cell phones, and on Monday, December twentieth, um, Ward gets instructions, and it's hey, take a bag. Like there's a bag of a million dollars in euro. I'm going to say a million dollars, but it, all of this is in euro. Um, and he gets told uh, that morning to take a million dollars in a bag to a bus stop on Queen Street, which was like pretty close to uh, the bank branch where they both worked. And he just hands it off to uh, to one of the robbers. He's like also at the bus stop, grabs a bag from him and takes off. And this is pretty much unanimously thought of as a test run for for later robberies in the day. Uh, they just basically wanted to make sure, like with a small amount, which is still a million dollars, that this would work and that everything was going to be working as, and people were going to cooperate and things like that. And so the test run goes well. At this point, I, I like that like a million is, is is the small amount. That that tells you what's coming next. Because like think about if you just landed a million, how much you know your life would instantly change. Also, all of this to this point, obviously it's incredibly serious given the kidnapping, but it does seem like an additional work task. Like you gotta pass the test. Oh, you passed the test. Now you're on to the ne- next phase of the operation. It's like it's it's all like work related additional work related activities. Yeah, it's just like okay, you got to make a deposit, withdrawal. It's it is pretty intense, and and yeah, that is that is like I'm glad you mentioned that because a million dollars also is a lot of cash. Like that's like most banks don't have a million. They don't have anywhere near a million dollars in them. Uh, like if you rob like your even your average like Chase Bank like here in New York City, like you're probably you're going to be lucky if you get a hundred thousand. Like some of that is timing and stuff like that, but a lot of times these banks don't have that much cash on hand, which is why they targeted this one because they print their own money. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to have a higher amount of money and also the ability to, to make more money. Um, and so after the, the successful test run with the, the million dollars, McMullen and Ward are told to stay at work after the close of the business. And so now, like, now you're working overtime, uh, which is like still not, still not good. And 
basically once everybody like goes home, these two are like, you know, working overtime and they start uh, loading crates of banknotes onto trolleys and loading them up into a big white van outside. And then after like, after all of those notes had been loaded into like the carts and pushed into the van, they get told to go open the van, uh, the vault. And they're told that if they don't open the vaults, that their loved ones are going to die. Because at this point, like there's still uh, like Ward's family is still being held hostage in their home. And nobody knows where uh, Mrs. McMullen is. Uh, She's at an undisclosed location. And so the vans ended up, uh, needing to make two different runs. Like, so they filled the van with cash and then had to come back and fill it up again with, with more cash to take the loot. And they ended up taking, uh, in total, 26.5 million euro. And the breakdown for that is actually pretty interesting. So 10 million of that euro is in uncirculated Northern Bank pound sterling banknotes. Uh, there was five and a half million in used banknotes so like you know currency that looks like it had been you know spent a couple times and it's much easier to to spend and pass off uh four and a half million euro in used notes from other banks and then smaller cash amounts in other currencies including euros uh american dollars so they basically they stole whatever money they could get and so they have a lot of different denominations a lot of different conditions for the cash and at around 11 o'clock in the evening, uh, Mrs. McMullen uh, gets driven to the Dumkira Forest or Drumkira Forest. Is that is that how you say that? It's uh, I, I think I think you've done a um, a reasonable job there. Uh, Drumkira, yeah, is how I would pr- pronounce it. Maybe up north where they have that uh, thicker northern accent, they might say it a, a little bit differently. But Drumkira is uh, a good pronunciation. Excellent. Okay, because th- this one I'm going to do really bad. Uh, Bali Nahinch. Yeah, that, that's that's not too bad. Pretty pretty okay. Bali Nahinch. Bali Nahinch. Okay, I, I have to get like the the song in there. Like I don't <laughs> like I don't do that. <laughs> um, but she's taken to the Drumkira Forest uh, near Bali Nahinch and is abandoned. Like they just kind of dump her in the woods. She's alive. Uh, so usually when you say dump in the woods, like you know, she's not alive, but in this case, she's, she's very alive. Uh, and she finds her way. Like she basically wanders through the woods until she finds a house in the woods, which has to be terrifying. Um, and then gets them to call the police. And she ends up being treated by paramedics for hypothermia because it was, uh, it was December and she was walking through the woods. So that's going to kind of happen, unfortunately. Uh, but other than the hypothermia and like the extreme mental trauma, like, she was more or less unharmed. And so the police, like after this robbery happens, the police like pretty quickly set up an investigation. Uh, and it's a huge force. It's like 50 detectives get assigned to the case and assistant chief constable, uh, a guy named Sam Kincaid. Uh, he comments that this was not a lucky crime. This was a well-organized crime. Like, so they pretty much immediately know, okay, we're, we're dealing with professionals here. And after seeing how that went down, I, I can't think of how you would come to any other conclusion. Hmm. Well, it, it just, just in the transportation of that amount of cash, like that's what I think 
it's a staggering amount of money. Like when you consider that's twenty six point five million in cash. You're, 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 you know that's it's not a it's not a digital device. This is it's not Bitcoin. It is twenty six point five million in cash to transport that alone would uh, would take uh, you know se- serious uh, operation. Uh, but to to transport it without being detected, you're yeah. The you could I I can see why he kind of you know. It didn't require Sherlock Holmes at that point to go, I think we're dealing with professionals rather than amateurs. <laughs> exactly. And and so like the other thing, like it's it's really hard. It's impossible to know the exact breakdown of, you know, how many five five euro notes there were versus how many hundred euro notes. But it's it's insane. Like for it to be two vanfuls, uh each van, like we're just gonna assume, held about thirteen million dollars, which is that's probably mostly 100, uh, 150 euro bills. Cause it's just like cash, cash is heavy and cash like takes up a lot of space. And, oh man, like I, I should do the math one day on, uh, but this is, yeah, like basically where I'm getting with that is like, it's not like the amount of money that you can just like carry around in a duffel bag. Like this is, this is just a massive amount of cash. And so basically once, once the investigation starts, uh, there's a few, um, a few prime suspects like right out of the bat that everyone, basically anytime a big crime happens, everyone's like, Oh, uh, probably the provisional IRA. Like that's, that's kind of the first instinct that a lot of people have. Again, we're we're not needing to be Sherlock Holmes here um, in in terms of pulling off a job of this magnitude, given what was involved. We're 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 talking about like kidnapping, um, you know, holding the holding the family hostage, getting the the guys to carry out a test run, and then making off a twenty six point five million. There there are very few people who could, you know, actually actually do that. So um I I think it was a, a pretty easy conclusion to to uh, to draw at, at that point. Agreed. And so like pretty much like all of the uh a lot of the uh the journalists and things like that, like some of the police like uh to their credit. Um, one senior police officer said that the opera, uh, quote, uh, this operation required great expertise and coordination, probably more than the loyalist gangs possess. Um, which is, I, I feel like it's not a good idea to like shit talk, like the, the IRA, like, even if you're trying to absolve them of the crime, don't be like, oh, these guys are too dumb to, to be able to do this. Like that's. Uh, what 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 a diss though! Like it, to say, okay, so only the Republican terrorists could have pulled this off. The other side just not up to it. Frankly, I mean, it's it's like sports analysis. Uh, you, you're looking like uh, it's like a touchdown. Like, oh yeah, oh, oh, only only Tom Brady could could have pulled that one off. Just uh, you know, the Jameis Winston. Nope, he he's never going to do that. Just too mistake prone. Simply as that. Just too much of an amateur. This is clearly a professional in and out job. That's oh god, that's really funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, Tom Brady would do it though. Tom Brady seems like the kind of person that would rob a bank just 
just for the thrill of it. Like he wouldn't even take the money. He'd just he, ruin it so nobody else could have it. <laughs> yes. And and his mugshot would still be impeccable. Oh, it would, people would swoon, like for sure. And so on December 23rd of 2004, so this is not too long after the, the heist. This is like four or five days after. The Irish Times actually runs a front page story uh, about the provisional IRA's denial of the involvement. Because pretty much immediately, the uh, provisional IRA issues a statement that says it was not us. They actually, um, they actually released a two-sentence statement um, in, eight, uh, in January of the, the next year. So like three weeks after. And it just says the IRA has been accused of involvement in the recent Northern Bank robbery. We were not involved. <laughs> Which is very Irish. I, well... I, I don't know if uh, if you or your listeners have seen the recent kind of viral video of the toddler and the cupcakes and the dad asking the, the, the toddler, did he go touch the cupcakes? And the toddler has icing like all over his face. He's like, <laughs> nope. And the dad's like, are you sure? No, I, I didn't. Nope, nope, nope. And he keeps denying it despite the fact that he was the o- he's the only other <laughs> person there um this this was the the same equivalency like did, did like i mean absolutely the only people who could possibly have done it unless it was like <laughs> mr invisible um and and somehow they're like no de- definitely not us that's <laughs> yeah that's uh there was no plausible deniability here this this was very obvious who this was straight yeah away. they're there really wasn't any, and after they, after the Irish Times ran that um, uh, that network or that uh, front page article, the same day they actually refused to print a column by a guy named Kevin Myers um, that blamed the provisional IRA, um, and so they, the Irish Times was saying the provisional IRA was um, that they were like denying it, but they refused to publish another piece by. Uh, by a guy who said that the IRA was responsible. Although like two weeks later they did print a report that said, uh, maybe there's a nationalist connection. Like not really sure. Like maybe. Uh, so it seemed like there might've been a little, a little bit of shadiness, but I wonder how much of that. Cause you like Ireland is like notorious for its libel laws as well. Like, is that. In, indeed we, we have libel tourism. Um, some very prominent people from um, the United States have used the uh, UK and Irish courts in order to shut down stories. Um, one famous example of that um, that we can talk about because others would probably, they, they, they would come after uh, this particular podcast. But one we can talk about is the fact that Lance Armstrong won a court case in uh the UK and Irish law and UK law are, are very similar, um, given our uh, respective history. Let's say put it that way. Um, but Lance Armstrong won a libel case against the Sunday Times, um, which you know they'd accused him of of using peds, and he denied it, and he won a, a court case. He's since 
apparently had to pay back that money. Um, but that will kind of give you an example of just just because you deny something, just because you might win in court over here, does not necessarily mean that you didn't do that of which you are accused. And people should probably remember that when they see people using UK and Irish courts to um, to stop stories or to deny stories or to sue. Why are they not doing it in uh, the United States would be a question I would always be asking. That is a, that is a very good. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I just watched the, uh, that Sophie West Cork murder documentary too. And uh, like the, the Irish courts kind of bungled a, uh, a murder investigation. And so then, then they had to go like do it in France. And then it, it seems like a, just a nightmare of like legal, uh, legal red tape and stuff like that. Now, like this guy basically has been convicted of murder in France, but Ireland refuses to extradite him. And it just seems like, seems like a very interesting legal system. Um, yeah, like it's, it's kind of, well, that one in fairness, like the French legal system is quite something because basically, oh yeah, there's this, there's a super messed up. Like if you have a bouquet of evidence. Yeah, pretty, pretty much like, um, so I, I don't know if there is the ideal legal system. That is a really interesting case. And certainly your listeners should, should check it out. Um, and, and I would say there was incredible incompetence in the police investigation, but I think the file that was then handed to what we call the director of public prosecutions, um, I guess the maybe the equivalent of, of the DA um, in, in many respects in, in America um, or the attorney general, um, essentially they kind of went, there's there's not enough to work with here. Like, I mean, you're you basically decided that, that that this guy did it, but you haven't provided us with any evidence that we could prosecute in a court of law. Whereas France were kind of happy to go, yeah, he he looks well weird. Him, he's definitely guilty. What are we basing it on? The fact that we don't particularly like him guilty and um yeah i mean it, it is a it i think all legal systems you you watch it play out and you kind of go surely that surely that can't uh, be the case right and uh, somehow somehow it transpires to to be yeah that's oh man the world is good and everything is working like it should <laughs> i i can say that um the the person, the the, the lady, uh, the judge who sent OJ down after, uh, you know, he was convicted, not of murder, um, you know, even though he wrote the, the book on how he may have done it or did it, <laughs> depending on your point of view. But um, that uh, that person, um, her her daughter had actually studied abroad in uh, in Dublin. Uh, judge Jackie Glass, uh, she. Uh, uh, so that was that was a, a tangential connection to that, but I, I feel that OJ's conviction on that, his sentencing certainly was influenced, I think, by what his his prior actions in another case that he may have gotten away with. That's crazy. Oh man! So let's let's get back into this because uh, turns out the legal systems uh, kind of flawed everywhere, um, and so. On January seventh, two thousand five, uh, the chief constable of the uh, of the police issued a report that 
fully blame the provisional IRA for for the robbery. And Sinn Féin, uh, I'm saying that correctly, right? Mm-hmm. You are indeed. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, Sinn Féin actually, and could you could you just explain like because Sinn Féin is like an arm of the IRA, correct, or like the leadership? Or yes. So, well, Sinn Féin will tell you that Sinn Féin is not the IRA. Sinn Féin is a political party with a mandate from the people. Um, but yes, um, the <laughs> Sinn Féin was was the political arm of the provisional IRA. I will say also, and I'll state this publicly, that without um Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness, um, who both are have interesting histories. Um there wouldn't there would not be peace on this island um because they essentially went to an organization that, you know, was really good at like blowing things up and killing and maiming. And they said, guys, we're just not gonna do that stuff anymore. And um the the organization, the IRA went but, but what do we get? And Jerry and Martin said, we're going to play the long game. And in fairness, they got them on board. Um, so yes, there would there would have certainly been, um, uh, at, at, particularly at that time, a strong connection. I think it is be- really beginning to change as time moves on. I mean, we're sitting in 2021 now. Um, Sinn Féin is a completely kind of di- different political party. But at that time, um, you know, you, you're, you're still not into um, the, the Good Friday Agreement. Absolutely, Sinn Féin would have been connected to the IRA. Awesome. And I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned Martin McGuinness because he actually was one of the, the leading negotiators on, on this incident. And he actually, he said that this accusation represented, quote, nothing more than polit- uh, politically biased allegations. This is more to do with halting the process of change, which uh, Sinn Féin has been driving uh, forward than with anything that happened at the Northern Bank. So he's he's kind of saying, he's like, you guys are just pulling this out of your asses because, you know, we're trying to pivot, you know, let us change. And you keep, you know, pulling us into this like crime or uh, crime stuff. But uh, on the other hand, uh, Bertie Ahern um, said that the operation of this magnitude obviously had to have been planned at the stage when I was in negotiations with those who would know the leadership of the provincial movement. Uh, so a couple of like differing takes on there. Um, and finally, the Independent Monitoring Commission recommended that Sinn Féin be fined for authorizing the heist, which I love that you can just like slap somebody with a fine for for a heist. And then uh, wrote in their report that the rank and file of Sinn Féin need to make the choice between continued association with the IRA uh, and their criminality and the path of an exclusively democratic political party. So that's... Seems like a lot Sh- of hand Shin- slapping. Sinn Féin is not the IRA. Sinn Féin is a political party with a mandate from the people. <laughs> yeah, so that that is a much better way of saying um, like how everything happened. But uh, and that was actually what ended up causing the the provisional IRA to to release that very eloquent two sentence uh, statement that said we were not involved. Um, and despite the, uh, like, because they deny it, obviously. Uh, and despite that, it's widely believed in Northern Ireland, especially in like the unionist uh, circles, that the IRA was responsible. Everyone's like, yeah, we were pretty sure it was you regardless. Lovely story, but but thank you. 
Uh, commentators in UK newspapers uh, went as far as to speculate that the um, heist had been planned to secure a pension fund for IRA service members or to support like the Sinn Féin electoral campaign. So they're like, oh, they, they did this for either pension, which honestly, they're good for you. Uh, <laughs> B, like if you can unionize, like, like that's what I want our unions to do. It's like, I want our unions to like rob Jeff Bezos so that everybody can retire. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, the, the talk certainly over here, um, and and I, don't, I would say it's not even just the un, the, the unionist or loyalist side. I think most people recognise that this, you know, was carried out very likely, very likely, um, though never proven by the British IRA. And yes, it was most likely done to provide a, a pension pot. Uh, you know, for as I said, they they had previously been really successful uh, as criminals. And if you want criminals to kind of lay down their arms and um, you know, go gently into the good night, uh, then you you need to uh, have a, have a pension fund. And I guess you know. Um, you would say vulture funds or hedge funds, you know, they rob people in, in other ways. This was just an actual physical robbery in order to top up a pension fund. I would say it's less morally gray than a lot of, because uh, like you have like stuff like BlackRock right now where they're, and we're, we're going to do an episode on BlackRock. Don't worry. Um, where they are currently buying up like pretty much every available house in the U S market. And they're, they're doing so by paying in cash and paying, you know, 15 to 20% over asking. And so they're just basically driving up the, the prices of houses like nationally. And like the bubble's going to pop like very soon here. Um, but all these like hedge funds are like buying all this property because I mean, maybe it's because of the old adage that like, you know, land, like they're not making more of that. Uh, even the volcanoes exist. Uh, <laughs> uh, so every every episode i do one terrible joke and i think i hope that was it uh for this one but yeah so i i'm not mad at this uh not loving the kidnapping but if you're gonna pull off a robbery to for pension like how can you get mad at pension you guys worked for it so the investigation's like they kind of continue for a bit and there's a lot of a lot of tension like we're like all the authorities are are blaming like members of Sinn Fein and saying that they're also members of the IRA, um, but they start to they start to like actually get a couple leads as well. And so on February tenth, two thousand five, uh, this is about six seven weeks after after the heists, um, the police raid houses near Barra in County Tyrone um that belonged to two brothers who were searched in connection with the robbery uh they didn't find anything when they when they searched those houses though um in the republic of ireland uh the garda announced on february 17th that it had arrested seven people and recovered just over 2 million euro including 60,000 euro in northern banknotes during raids in cork and dublin so uh, the the raid in Cork, from what I remember at that time, the guy when they raided was in the back garden trying to burn 
the 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 money um and uh, and and was caught uh from from what i what i remember of uh, of that particular um you know occasion and it just you know it, it 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 there's something very cartoonish in terms of burning literal like wads of cash oh definitely definitely and like they um, when when this guy was arrested and like they they found him, they were actually investigating him for money laundering uh, that may or may not have been related to this crime. Like they they had heard that this guy was like a unknown money launderer, and they went to find him, and that's when they saw him like burning the cash in his backyard, uh, which I I kind of like. I I, I think it's fun. Uh, the Garda commissioner uh, did not officially confirm that the raids were related to the Northern Bank robbery, but he did make sure that he like included a jab at the IRA. So like, he's like, this might not be related to the Northern uh, Bank robbery, but definitely IRA related, uh, which I, I like the consistency. Like, I, I like that because this is like kind of like going back to the Martin Cahill thing. Like, this is like one of those like long running fuse where they're just like, they they have like a nemesis, which I, I like, where they're like, oh, it must be, must just be the IRA. Like any, I feel like anytime something bad happens, this guy was like IRA. Um, but arrests were made under the Offenses Against the State Act, which sounds very serious. And the arrested included several men from Derry and a former candidate for uh, the Sinn Fein party. Um, another three men were arrested at uh, Houston Station in Dublin, and a guy named uh, Don Bullman uh, was arrested carrying almost a hundred thousand euro, uh, like stashed in a box of Daz washing powder. So, is Daz like dish soap or like laundry detergent? Laundry detergent. Okay, so like a big box of Tide with like full <laughs> yeah. cash. Um. Bullman was later convicted of membership of the IRA in 2007 and got a four-year jail sentence for that. Um, he did not give, in his conviction, any indication of guilt uh, for like the Northern Bank robbery, but it is thought that he was involved. Um, <laughs> uh, a little while later, um, a guy named Ted Cunningham, who's a financial advisor in Fern, uh, County Cork. That's that's pretty close to where you live, right? Yeah, Fern, Fern would be where from where I grew up. Fern it wouldn't be too far away. You're probably talking like 20, 30 miles. Okay, because uh, I, I thought I remember like seeing the the road signs for that. Like we might have been going out like west to to carry, mm-hmm. um, but I think I remembered like when we left your house, like seeing signs for Fern. Yeah, uh, exactly. They actually found two point three million euro. Uh, hidden in his compost heap. And both Cunningham and his wife were taken in for further questioning. Um, Shortly after that, a guy named Phil Flynn, uh, who was a chairman at the Bank of Scotland, uh, a former president of Sinn Féin, and uh, non-executive director uh, for Chesterton Finance, which was a company owned by Cunningham, uh, he also said that he had some cash that Cunningham had given him. Um, the next day in, uh, so February 18th, um, in Passage West in Cork, another man gets arrested, burning banknotes in his backyard. 
Um, and finally, another guy in Cork comes into the Guardi and hands them 175,000 euros and says that Cunningham had asked him to look after it for a bit. So Cunningham at this point is kind of the central figure in the investigation. He's the only one that like people are naming. Um, but police have a few other ideas as well. And one of the people that they think is connected to this uh, and that they make an arrest for is Chris Ward. And Chris Ward was, uh, remember that he was the first bank official that got like kidnapped in the middle of the night and taken to his boss's house. And the guard had thought that he was, uh, that he was involved in that, uh, that it was an inside job. So uh, the police actually search his home. Another bank employee, um, a 22 year old woman who is not named actually got arrested on the same day. So they, they thought for sure that this was an inside job. Uh, and on December 2nd, the police actually take 25 Land Rovers uh, to the Gaelic Athletic Association Stadium uh, because Ward had worked there part-time and they were like trying to see if there were any connections, um, any connections there. Uh, Ward ends up actually being prosecuted for robbery and for using a firearm. The prosecution case, uh, it was based on his actions um, in the preceding like days ahead of the raid. And the fact that people thought that there were like some discrepancies in his work and his original statements to police. Ward categorically denied the charges and claimed that the police were harassing him and his family to frame him as an inside man. And he actually complained that the police had held him longer than the gang that held his family hostage, which I think is a very funny gripe to have. Uh, that's actually kind of similar to, um, to like the complaints uh, from the Stockholm syndrome case where uh, the people are like, yeah, we said that we are like in love with like the, the bank robbers. It's just that they were so much better than the police. <laughs> and, how how bad do you have to be at your uh, you know to treating somebody that they're like the guy who kidnapped and terrorized my family that was that was a, a better experience than than this yeah that's uh, that that's pretty much what happened in in both cases like in in the Stockholm syndrome case I know we talked about that a little bit but now now there's like a lot more like uh, psychological research being done into that to to prove that like Stockholm syndrome is like complete and total bullshit. Um, in fact, like the guy who coined the term uh, Stockholm syndrome, this is just a, a fun side note. Uh, he never interviewed the people from the robbery. He just kind of like, he just kind of assumed he's like, Oh yeah, they got Stockholm syndrome. They're like, what, like, do you want to talk to him? He's like, don't need to classic Stockholm syndrome, but he never actually interviewed them. And he was actually the negotiator that the hostages didn't trust. Like when they were like doing things like, he was the guy that was supposed to get their trust and like was so bad at his job that they're like, no, we, we feel safer with the, with the robbers. And then he's a classic Stockholm syndrome. Um, but anyways, uh, getting back to Ward, uh, Ward was remanded on bail. Um, and at his trial for robbery and false imprisonment, uh, the prosecution had literally zero evidence. And Ward gets uh, acquitted of all charges. The prosecution basically accepted the, um, that the uh, like the change in his work that had like caused them to like prosecute in the first place had just been like a chance decision by management. They're like, oh, like 
the guy's managers are acting or think he's acting weird. So we're going to, we're going to assume that he was an inside uh, guy and held his own family at gunpoint. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it all, it's, it's very Richard Jewell, isn't it? it? It's very, Oh my God, that guy. Yeah. It's, it's very Richard Jewell. Um, and, and it's, it's a sad uh, reality of the, the justice system is like, they need, they always have to have somebody, like, even if the person is completely uncompelling. Um, however, in March of 2009, Ted Cunningham, the financial advisor from Cork, he does get found guilty. So they had enough evidence for him uh, on 10 charges of laundering over $3 million that came from the robbery. So he wasn't specifically arrested or convicted of the robbery. But he is currently the only person that has been arrested in connection with it. Like, they still don't know who actually did the robbery. Um, you know, wink. Uh, <laughs> but they don't, they don't have anybody to arrest, at least. So Cunningham actually ends up being the only person that gets charged in connection to, the, uh, to this case. And he does, he does have a retrial uh, in February of 2014. Uh, but Cunningham like pleads guilty in his retrial and gets a five year suspended sentence of laundering. Like he get, he's able to talk it down to two hundred and seventy five thousand euro, uh, and because of that, he avoids imprisonment uh, on account of like his bad health. And he promises to like resign from Chesterton Finance. And I I do have to say that it's nice for like somebody convicted of financial crimes like actually having to step down because we don't see that a lot here. Uh, he yeah, but. He he has in in recent years tried to sue the bank, even though he he accepted responsibility. He says that the money that was taken from from him was um, improperly taken. So yeah, okay, I had that stolen cash. I, I I'll cop to that, but you shouldn't have been able to take it from me. I I would kind of love, honestly, if if he gets it back on procedural grounds, like that would be, I I've got a lot of issues with, uh, with um, like asset forfeiture and stuff like that. Like here in the U S they, they abuse it way too much because you have to like prove the money's innocence before, before you're allowed to get it back. Uh, but that's, that's a different thing. Like, yeah, this guy a hundred percent did it though. And admitted as such. And this actually, this, causes like some big changes. Um, like there's a lot of long lasting ripples from this case. Like uh, first and foremost, the Northern bank announced like pretty much right after the robbery that it was going to be switching its 10, 20, 50 and 100 Euro notes. Uh, they were going to, and the new notes are going to have, you know, uh, different colors, bigger logos, uh, altered serial number, uh, like themes and conventions so that you can't, predict the serial numbers and by march of 20 uh or by march of 2005 they they succeeded in doing that um meaning that basically any of the banknotes that had been stolen uh and uncirculated were basically hard if not impossible to spend uh because like and, and that's the way they should do it, like, in the United States, too. Like, I say that a lot uh, when I'm talking about, like, other governments and stuff like that. But, like, here, like we, we change our money, like, pretty regularly in the United States. Like, there's always, like, a new version of, like, the $10, $20, $100 bills. Like, there's always new security features. 
which is great, but you could still spend the old ones. So there's like, like they, they make all of these, you know, new hundred dollar bills and like, Oh, this is going to make it like way harder for counterfeiters to, you know, to duplicate. Uh, but counterfeiters don't have to make the new ones because you're still accepting the old ones. They can just keep printing the same easy money and you keep taking it like dumb idiots. And so like, if you really want to like dissuade people from counterfeiting, stop accepting old money. Like that's, that's the only way to do that. And we, we just don't do it. So if you're going to counterfeit, A, don't, and B, just do the old stuff because you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> anyways, let's get back. Um, let's get back to that. But that this still means that there was uh, four and a half, uh, there was still four and a half million dollars in notes from other banks and like US money and things like that, which were spendable and untraceable. So whoever had the money, like, they weren't able to spend a majority of it if they didn't do it, you know, pretty quickly after the crime. But they still still had about ten million dollars that uh, that is liquid and spendable. So still a pretty good payday for these guys. Yeah, still still sizable in terms of what they were able to to get away with because they were they would have been able to use you know the 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 un the un or the the use notes happy days especially the um the ones that were in um you know the the different currencies uh so i think all all in all in all while you know you might be disappointed that um they pulled the the new notes yeah that 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 10 million uh pension will uh, will soften the blow yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely will. And so the IRA basically continues to deny involvement officially. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this and you're in the IRA, um, I, I'm not saying anything. I will, uh, but if you give me, reach out to me, I'll give you some of my enemies' mailing addresses. <laughs> if you want to write, write to the show. Okay, that's the worst joke of the episode. Um, and yeah, basically, that's that's basically like from the law extent, like that's that's the entirety of the case. There have been a couple uh, murders in uh, that were reported in 2015 to be connected to the case. Um, Gerard Davidson... Uh, was shot dead in May of 2015 and Kevin McGuinn was killed in August. And they think that those two guys were involved in the robbery, but there's not a lot of details about, um, not a lot of uh, details about like what specifically had, had tied them to the case. Um, there's a, there's a guy who used to be in the IRA, um, many years ago, uh, Ricky O'Raw, and uh what a wonderful name and he actually wrote a novel um about about the the case very similar to uh oj and from what i remember at the time around this um you know kind of it was like well what if they had done it how would that have played out um and many people feel that it is you know perhaps um closer to fact than fiction I, I like that. That sounds, uh, his book is actually entitled Northern Heist, which <laughs> is, is pretty incredible. 
if I did it. And so, um, and uh, Ricky Ora was a IRA bank robber, which is my favorite, my favorite part. I'm actually, I'm for sure going to read that book now. Uh, I'm going to pick that up on Amazon now. But, but yeah, as far as like, there's still some like ripples of this case because uh, it's not that old. It's you know 15 years old at this point. Um, and there's still definitely some some ramifications happening. Um, definitely uh, stoked tensions like within the IRA and Sinn Fein uh, and things like that. But currently, with the exception of Tom Cunningham um, or Ted Cunningham, rather, uh, Tom Cunningham is a guy I play disc golf with uh, who was not involved. I can say that unequivocally because he would have been two years old. Uh, but um yeah aside from boss baby bank robber i i would watch that movie um but aside from ted cunningham nobody has been held directly responsible uh for this heist and it remains the largest in the history of the united kingdom and the republic of ireland and that is the northern bank robbery so Quite the tale. Quite it's, the tale. It is quite the tale. I'm already very excited about the next episode that uh, that we're going to be doing together. Um, I'll have to have you on for that one pretty soon. But if somebody wants to check out uh, both of your podcasts, both the Irish NFL show uh, and uh, the one that you've recently won uh, a couple awards for, right? Is, yeah. Uh, Adventures in Advising. Indeed. Um, yeah. So, uh for, for anyone, I suppose, who works in higher ed or is interested in higher ed or is studying in higher ed, adventures in advising, kind of we talk to obviously a lot of academic advisors, but also people working in student support, working in res life. We talk to students themselves and uh, you can find that pretty much wherever you uh, get your your podcasts and the that that like this pete is uh just um you know an audio podcast uh the irish nfl show uh you uh, you can find us on youtube you can uh, we also have a, an audio podcast version but um we do video with the the irish nfl show as well and uh yeah if you like listening to uh, four lads with funny accents talk about uh, the <laughs> nfl um please uh pl- please do get in touch and you can find me um on twitter at column from cork uh, always love chatting to people and getting to know people so uh do get in touch yeah definitely and uh column was one of my favorite twitter follows of all time like he always posting like just very funny stuff but uh and a lot of yeah no you're you're very fun uh twitter follow uh so if anybody's interested in that and also your instagram is fantastic like you take really great photos of like uh dublin and ireland in general and it's uh i'm I'm fortunate to have a, a pretty nice landscape to photograph that's that's true i one of these days, like uh, next time you're stateside, we'll go to Wisconsin and I'll, I'll test your ability to to draw from nothing. <laughs> <laughs> harsh, and, uh, harsh on Wisconsin. It's it's fine. It's like Wisconsin. Like people from Wisconsin are incapable of being mad for more than two seconds, so they'll forget about it. <laughs> but yeah, and if you're if you're liking this show, uh, definitely check us out on Instagram. 
uh, Facebook. We don't use those often. Twitter. Uh, we're on all the platforms at I Can Steal That. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, leave us a review or tell a friend. That helps us find a bigger audience every single week. And you can always just reach out to us at that at gmail.com or on any of the socials. Uh, we're going to be back next week with another brand new episode. But this has been super fun. And this has been the Northern Bank Robbery. Thanks for listening to I Can Steal That. We'll be back next week.